Today on Craving Answers, Craving God, we're going to talk about Stoicism. It's an ancient view that still has influence on our lives today. We're talking about virtue, or more specifically, the path to virtue. You do aspire to be virtuous, don't you? And I wonder if Stoicism is compatible or incompatible with Christianity. Why does it matter? There are those who think that Stoicism played an important role in our country's founding. And that's our topic today on Craving Answers, Craving God. I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor of St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Well, Aaron, do you consider yourself to be a Stoic? I am not a Stoic. Uh, there are things about Stoicism that I really appreciate and approve of, but I wouldn't describe myself as a Stoic. I, it's th- This is a good topic, though, that, that we're doing. When one of our listeners asked if we could do this, and uh, it's just been occurring to me more and more recently. I hadn't thought about doing it as a as an episode until, you know, the listener asked, but stoicism is, it's on the rise and it's becoming more and more popular all the time. And, you know, I'm seeing it everywhere. I, um, my son has a friend who's, uh, goes to school with who, a guy who's not a believer who for Christmas gave him a copy of Marcus Aurelius's meditations. What? Uh, Yeah. These are teenagers. These are teenagers. Um, does that have anything to do with video games? It does not. No. Wow. Surprisingly, yeah. Mind-boggling. I heard an interview with uh, Corbin Carroll, who is uh, he won the Rookie of the Year award for the Arizona Diamondbacks this year, and it was one of those on-field interviews where he's out there playing, but they've got him mic'd up and they're asking him questions, and he started talking about how stoicism has really helped him. As she said, stoicism has really helped me with my baseball, and uh, it's on the rise. It's everywhere. There's more and more pieces and essays about it. You can find tons of YouTube videos about people extolling. Uh, stoicism and what it means for uh, what, it, how can it help, especially uh, especially young men? It's becoming extremely popular with young men. So I definitely think this is a worthwhile topic for us to talk about. So for that listener who is has listened to us so far and is saying to himself, "Stoicism has helped me play baseball," and is about to check out, why should they continue to listen? Well, because it's important. People are people are thinking this. I, you know, I. We we should go through. We should ask our listeners to go through and rank our episodes. Sometimes on one, you know, scale of one to ten, how important was this? Some of them will be kind of low. Some of them are kind of niche topics, and some of them are like pretty universally important. I don't know where this one is in it. Um, I, I would say if you're if you're a young man, and or if you're somebody who's interested in the problems of young men, which are more and more. Important. I mean, this is Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan. These are guys who are making a living talking to young men and talking to them about how to be a young man. Um, then this is a topic that might be interesting to you, might be helpful in how you see the way men think and especially young men and what could help them. So if we were just sitting around having a conversation at lunch and and the word you use the word stoicism or stoic, I probably in my head would think, yeah. I think I kind of know what that word means. I think it means kind of serious, right. deadpan, yes. maybe humorless. Yeah. Um, but I would in part be guessing at that. For those who would say, 
I've never heard this word. I don't know what it means. Um, how would you define the word in the shortest terms? Yeah, so that the way that we use it now to, to mean, like you said, deadpan is a, uh, um, a good, you know, without emotions is a good way to define how we use the word stoic now. Uh, actually comes from, it's, it's, it's not exactly on target, but it comes from ancient stoicism. I, the, the main thing that people need to know about stoicism in the ancient world is that it was, it's, it's a pantheistic belief. It's a belief that God, not a person, but kind of a life force that moves in everything and that everything is a part of this God. Everything is a part of this life force. And so whatever happens is supposed to happen. It doesn't. Stoics affirm we have choice. You can make things happen by your decisions. But in retrospect, whatever happens in your life is supposed to happen. If that's the case, then over-the-top emotions are inappropriate. Uh, being angry when something bad happens to you is inappropriate because what happened to you is what was supposed to happen to you. So you learn to accept what happens. It's less about focusing on what kind of emotions you should have and more about accepting what happens to you as a part of the way things are supposed to be. And as a result, responding with over-the-top emotions is out of place. That's kind of where we get the that notion of stoic being unemotional from. Okay, here's what Wikipedia has to say about stoicism. Quote, stoicism is a school of Hellenistic philosophy that flourished in ancient Greece and ancient Rome. The Stoics believe that the practice of virtue is enough to, choose, uh, to achieve eudaimonia, that is, a well-lived life. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but that was my best shot. That's good. The Stoics identified the path to achieving it with a life spent practicing the four virtues in everyday life, wisdom, courage, temperance or moderation, and justice. So how well do you think Wikipedia has described uh, Stoicism? Yeah, that line that you said with the you know the four virtues there is a really concise description of Stoic behavior, Stoic ethics. Um, you also need to add in you know why is it they think this, and and the answer is is their worldview of um, their pantheistic worldview that God is imminent, God is God is present, so present that there's nothing that exists that isn't God, and. Um, that's important for understanding why it is that they would pray. For instance, one of the four virtues is moderation. And um, you, you, you're moderate. You're not too high. You're not too low because if everything is God, then whatever is is supposed to be. And also, uh, I think we could add – there's a lot you could add. And it's it's you can find information about Stoicism at the library or online. It's super easy. But one thing that we can add here is that Stoicism um, – believes it's almost like Hinduism in this sense that the time is cyclical that there, we're not headed towards any goal there's real no great cosmic purpose to humanity uh, Christianity would disagree with that Christianity would say that there is a great eschatological goal this new creation um, that's one thing that we could add to but besides that the, this you know pinpointing these four virtues is spot on okay so what about the word virtue as Wikipedia described it here? Here's another word. I mean, in everyday language, most people don't ever use the word stoic or stoicism. And I don't think we use the word virtue very often no, either. We anymore. might from somebody might at some point refer to somebody else as being virtuous. 
But when we use that word or when you hear that word, what does that mean in the 21st century? Right. It's actually become, like you said, Chuck, it's not a word that we use a lot. It's more of like, a, it feels like a Victorian word to me. Yeah. Like in 1800s, you know, to live the virtuous life, to be a person of virtue. Or, you know, I guess maybe in some religious circles, I, I think that, what do I think when somebody says, oh, they're a virtuous person, um, that they do good things, that they're honest, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, virtue in the ancient world, though, is much much bigger than just your behavior. It has to do with, um, you know, the power behind your behavior, your motivations. It has to do, in Stoicism, it has to do with, you know, how well do you align with the way things ought to be? Like, So being in sync with nature is a big deal for Stoics. For, for, for Stoics. That's, a, that's a virtue, is to be kind of at peace with the way things are, the way the flow, going with the flow, being at peace with the, the way the world is working, you know, trusting that the way the world is working is the way it's supposed to work. Um, so virtue is not just like doing good things. It's also like moderation is a virtue, like emotional moderation, um, oneness with the universe. So yeah, it's much bigger the way that the, the ancients used it, not just the Stokes, but the ancients used virtue in a much bigger way than we do. The listener who suggested this as a topic, I don't know if that listener was thinking about the founding fathers or not, but there was a recent column in the Wall Street Journal, which you found and you sent to me on this topic, written by Barton Swaim, and he talks about the concept of Stoicism or the school of Stoicism philosophy in the context of Thomas Jefferson's reference to the pursuit of happiness yes with the focus being on happiness and that's where we land that's the pivot point what did jefferson mean when he put into the declaration of independence the pursuit of happiness what did he mean when he put it in there and does it still mean the same thing today when we read it now all these hundreds of years later that it meant when he wrote it right is that too deep to cover, or can you respond to that? Oh, I, well. So I'm not. I'm not an American history scholar at all. If Jefferson is pulling on Stoic notions here, I, I think that the the piece, it's a review of a book that's been written recently that's arguing that the the founding fathers were very influenced by Stoicism. Uh, the review doesn't think that's necessarily the case, but let's say he was. What is what, what did the Stoics mean by happiness? The Stoics mean by happiness the greatest alignment with the way things ought to be. So ultimate happy. So if you need dental work done, but you don't go to the dentist because that would make you unhappy and you do guzzle lots of sugary sodas because that does make you happy. The Stokes would say that's not true happiness because ultimately being at peace with the way things ought to be, means having healthy teeth. That's the greater happiness. That's the greater good. Um, do, doing things that make you temporarily happy is not what is not the ultimate good, not the ultimate happiness. If Jefferson is talking about that, then what he's pointing us towards is not happiness as like an end goal in itself, but happiness as the result of a life lived well. Happiness as a result of being virtuous. So 
for the Stoics, happiness wasn't the target. Well, let me say this wrong. Happiness, let me say this better. I'm saying it wrong. Happiness is the target, but it's not what you try to do. The well-lived, virtuous life of moderation and justice and wisdom and courage, that leads to happiness. You don't try to be happy. You lead this virtuous life and that makes you happy. And I think that's probably what Jefferson is meaning, something along those lines, is that if this republic is going to work, if this republic is going to be committed to the ideals of life and liberty and ultimately happiness, it's going to involve making virtuous for, for, for Jefferson and for the, for the uh, Stokes as well, reasonable, rational decisions. That's reason is a big, wisdom is a big deal for them. So I, I, I actually, if you press me on like, do you think Jefferson really meant that? I would say, I don't know Jefferson well enough. I've not read enough of Jefferson to know if that's what he's going. But if he's, if, if, if he's a Stoic, that's what he means. The column that I cited written by Barton Swaim is a review of a book written by a man whose name is Jeffrey Rosen. And he looks into this. He looks into the subject of Stoicism. Um, Mr. Rosen tells us, according to Mr. Swaim, and from the book, that the book changed his understanding of the famous phrase in the Declaration of Independence, the pursuit of happiness. Right. Today, he says, this is what the author of the book says, today, he says, we think of happiness as the pursuit of pleasure. Today, he says, the Enlightenment thinkers and classical thinkers defined happiness as the pursuit of virtual, virtue. Yes, yeah. As being good, rather than feeling good. Right, yes. That sort of gave me some clarity. Can yeah. you elaborate on that? Yeah, that's actually spot on. And that's one of the reasons why Stoicism is so popular right now. Because there are a lot of people, and for, for, for reasons that, that maybe we can go into, I don't know, young men are kind of sick of the way the Western world has worked since the 1960s where do what feels good has been our credo. Like the main thing is pleasure, the pursuit of pleasure. And they kind of look around and they see their parents and sometimes their grandparents' generation who followed this credo and they think, this world is lousy. You know, we're all discontented. We're all on medication. We're all unhappy because we tried to be happy. This is the conclusion people are coming to. And what they're, what they're realizing is, is that I have no purpose. You know, I wake up in the morning and I was talking about, you know, the, the, the comment that, that you made, you're, you're kind of joking around about my son and his friend, you know, here's, you know, teenage kids, they live for video games and for girlfriends and for uh, sleeping in and for eating junky food and they don't have it. That's, you know, what kind of purpose is that there to that life? And, and somebody like Jordan Peterson comes along and says, forget that, be a man and do your duty. Like, do what's right, be virtuous, have courage, live for wisdom, you know, live for justice, stop living for yourself, live for right, uh, be moderate. You don't need to spend all your money on video games and candy, like live in moderation. And all of a sudden, these men, these young men especially have purpose and meaning. And this is why Stoicism is taking off is because it offers this sense of purpose beyond just serving myself, beyond just making myself happy. And again, I don't know if Jefferson is thinking that, uh, but if he is, and I suspect that he, that, that he probably is, then 
the goal of the American dream has been what the American founding fathers thought they were telling us when they said the pursuit of happiness is a worthwhile goal is something different than what we post-sexual revolution have made it out to be. Um, it's, it's not, you know, being a glutton. It's not living for the, for yourself and for pleasure. It's living a life of virtue. So for the listener who says, you know, what makes me feel good? It makes me feel good to have lots of money that I, I, I feel happy right. when I, classic. I, I feel I have a lot of money Yeah. or somebody who says, I have to tell you, I can't get enough sex. I'm just, you know, I'm hitting the bars, I'm making the rounds, I'm right. doing one-nighters, and it makes me really feel good. And we could go on. I, I think people get the point here. Yeah. And maybe more often than not, the outcome of that pursuit is destruction. Yeah. And it can feel good for the moment, but there are lots of people who at the end of that pursuit are in terrible despair. Right. So along comes uh, Craving Answers, Craving God, talking about Stoicism, and they say, you know, that kind of appeals to me. Uh, you know, I'd yeah. like to get some order in my life. I, maybe I need to abandon some of these things that make me feel good and focus more on things where I am being good. I think I'm going to check into this Stoicism thing. Yeah. Did we just do Christianity some harm here by sending people <laughs> in that direction? Well, if that's the end of the story, then yeah, maybe. But there's nothing wrong with saying, "Hey, the Stoics were right about this." You know, when, when the when Zeno and Epictetus and, and and Marcus Aurelius and Cicero looked and said, "What a name dropper you are!" Well, I mean, it's it's all on Wikipedia, right? <laughs> it's <laughs> it in is my research. Uh, you know, when they start saying, "Look, we look around and a life of dissipation, a life of free sex, a life lived for money, just." Practical, just doing an experiment, not making a moral judgment. Are those people happier? No. And they're frequently less happy. Well, okay, so they're doing something wrong. What would be a greater good that would create ultimate happiness? And when they say, when the Stoics say, it's actually a life of virtue, I think that Christians could say, amen, brother. That's good stuff. We think that that's true. I mean, the question is, will end up being, of course, is the, is the life of virtue possible? Or is a rat race that you can never get to the end of? Nobody's going to disagree. Well, people will disagree, of course. That's a stupid thing to say. A lot of people aren't going to disagree, though, that living next door to somebody who lives for virtue instead of self-gratification is way more pleasant than, than not. And I think that, that Christians you know, in this case, me and you can say, uh, bully for the Stoics. They're onto something here, uh, especially in the, the kind of culture that we have, which is kind of the culture that they were living in too. You know, uh, Rome was not known for its, uh, um, the life of the average Roman citizen was not known for its moderation. Um, especially, actually see the average, especially in the upper classes, uh, you know, dissipation and living for the moment, the carpe diem lifestyle was, uh, well-known, like it is in our day, and Stoicism has something to offer to that. So for the person who is persuaded, yeah, I this resonates with me. I really need to think about the benefits of being good instead of feeling good all the time because 
I now know that that's a lie. That's, that's not getting me where I want to be. I want to know more about this being good. So they start looking at various religions. They start checking things out. They want to be good. They get to the Bible. The Bible says something. You can help me with this quote. There is none good. There is nobody who does good. Well, I'm leaving that behind. I'm not doing there because if, if they can't get me to my goal of being good, then what does the Bible have to offer? What does Christianity have to offer? What would you say? Well, I'd say you just, you know, you read one verse. Um, and that's, that's a good, we're going to get back there. We're going to have to talk about that. What does it mean that there's no, nobody who's good? But if you, if you read Paul, it's just, uh, uh, recently for, 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 uh, my studies and, um, for some studies I've been doing, I've been studying the book of Philippians and Philippians is quite Paul, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul has quite a lot of Stoic notions in the in, in the letter to the Philippians. Uh, you know, whatever is just, whatever is good, whatever has virtue, think on these things. These are very Stoic ideas that he's using. Paul's not opposed to saying, "Hey, look." He's also going to say, "There's none. There's none good." But he's going to say, "Virtue is important. You know, courage is a wisdom. Moderation. These are important." You should think on these things. The Bible's not going to disagree with Stoicism on this point, that there's ultimate good, that, that, is, that, that is somehow connected to virtue more so than pleasure. And so if, somebody's, if, somebody comes to say, if somebody says, well, I'm a Stoic, I'm not a Christian, it's, it's not going to be because Christianity says, ah, do what you want, and Stoicism says, no, you need to have discipline, um, you need to have virtue. That won't be the reason. So I'd like to find out if somebody says, I've rejected Christianity for Stoicism, there's ultimately going to be deeper reasons to that besides just the virtue, because Christianity is a religion of virtues, even in some sense, Stoic virtues. Although Christianity has virtues that Stoicism would reject. And sometimes that's why people reject Christianity for Stoicism is because there are things Christianity says that Stoics would say, ah, we can't go there. Like what? well, so so Paul includes frequently. Paul will have, um, you know, he'll talk about virtue, and he'll include it within a list of virtuous characteristics. Lots of things that Stoics agree with, but what Stoics won't agree with is when Paul introduces the notion of humility, and um, humility is a deeply Christian virtue. Humility, not in the sense of an emotional, like, oh, you know, I'm just, yeah, I'm just a country boy doing my job, you know, not that kind of humility. But, you know, as Philippians, again, to go back to Philippians, describes it, the, the Messiah made himself humble like a slave. That, it's a status in the ancient world. See, this is why Stoics in the ancient world didn't like humility, is because humility is a status. And for somebody, it's, it's slave status. It's, it's not about an emotion. It's about how do you position yourself in relationship to other human beings. A slave is humble because a slave is below non-slaves. So when Paul comes along and says, actually, no, humility is a Christian virtue, what he is is taking away from Stoics the notion that I'm a person. if you are a person of means, if you're a person with social status, that you should act like you don't have social status. That's exactly what Paul is saying. But Stokes would say, no, that's actually wrong. You don't want to act like you don't have status because that's not who you are. You have to act like you do have status. Christianity, and Paul insists, though, that no, in, in the pattern and power of, of Jesus Messiah, 
humiliation is a deep, deep virtue. And so, so I, I don't know what current Stoics think about that. I would imagine that for some that's a deal breaker, this notion of being humiliated to embracing a life of being a slave would, would be scandalous. Doesn't seem consistent with being good. Right, yeah. Or in, in the, especially if you're being when, good, you should not be humiliated. Right, especially if you think of being good or being virtuous as being at one with the way things ought to be. So correct me if I feel free to correct me if I'm wrong here. I think the Bible talks about two different kinds of righteousness. There is divine righteousness, the righteousness that God is righteous, and the righteousness that Christ bestows upon us as a gift to make we, the unrighteous people, righteous. Right. And then there is civil righteousness. You don't have to be a Christian to be a good person in the civil realm. Right. You can do lots of good things and make lots of good donations, but none of those things earn any favor with God. So how does Stoicism fit into the dynamic of those two? I guess Stoicism would be a fine path to civil righteousness, but not a path at all to divine righteousness. Is that a correct statement? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great start to civil righteousness, to, to, to righteousness before humanity. You know, is it like you, you mentioned righteousness before God. I mean, one question we will have to answer is, if, you know, if I'm thinking like a stoic, I would say, well, if I'm righteous before humanity, then why do I need something different? Like God is in everything. Um, and the, the answer to that would be, as a Christian, it would be the standard is much higher than you think it is. Like you, you might say, so the, I'll, 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 let me step back here and, and, and make this point, and then I'll go to where I was, what I was just going to do. One of the problems with Stoicism is the same problem that all pantheistic worldviews have, you know, the notion that God is in everything. It's the problem of evil. It doesn't have a way of grappling with evil. See, if, if everything is the way it's supposed to be, and my child dies suddenly in an accident, for the Stoic, it's not that it's wrong to be sad about that, but it's wrong to be overly sad about that because that was what was supposed to happen. Can't shake your fist at God. You, there's nothing to shake your fist at because whatever happens is God. Um, for the Christian, though, God is imminent. He's here. He's present. He's a human being. But he's also transcendent. He's not connected to evil in a way that can bring him blame. And so for the Christian to shake your fist at a drunk driver that killed your you know, that killed your child or to shake your fist at, uh, uh, you know, war, to shake your fist at a tidal wave, to shake your fist at the reality of cancer is an appropriate thing to do. In fact, for a Christian, it would be inappropriate not to do that. For the Stoic, though, they, 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 there's no mechanism there uh, to do, you, you know, to, to, there's no mechanism to, to, to deal with evil. And so for the Christian, just experience it. You just experience it, and you do your best with it. And that's, of course, where we get the notion of stoicism being deadpan. You know, it's, it's, it's that's too harsh. A stoic wouldn't say you shouldn't cry at the death of your child, but you shouldn't be overly emotional. You shouldn't be emotional shouldn't be in a way that doesn't accept it. Yeah, 
to, to learn to accept it. And for a Christian, we would say that's actually not possible. So to, to get back to what we had said earlier, so for the Stoic, to have a righteousness in public before other human beings is kind of the end goal, but it's actually not good enough when evil happens because a Stoic will know I have to force myself to not feel anger at injustice. Whereas for a Christian, a Christian can say, no, I, 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 it's okay for me to feel anger at injustice and I don't have to like deal with this. I don't have to accept it because there's a transcendent God who is completely and ultimately righteous, who is going to deal with this. I also can fail. I also, sometimes I'm not moderate. Sometimes I'm not courageous. Sometimes I'm not virtuous. And for the Stoic, it's, we'll get back in line, get back in line. But for the Christian is, I, I can't get back in line. I, I, you know, it's, it's so hard for me to, to be courageous enough, but not so courageous that I'm reckless. It's hard for me to be wise enough, but not so wise that I'm arrogant. See what I'm saying? I'm, I'm using sure. the vir- virtues and saying that the balance, it's like razor thin. It's good. It's, the attempt is good, but it's impossible. Ult- ultimately, it's impossible to be a perfect stoic. So for Christians, this ultimate righteousness that we can only get in Jesus is indispensable. It's indispensable. Apparently, Stoicism came on the scene about 300 BC and flourished until about 300 AD when Christianity kind of moved to the center of the stage in human history, at least in Western uh, experience. So I guess Jesus appeared right around in the middle of that 600 years. Would he have been familiar with Stoicism? Would he... If you asked Jesus, if you had a chance to say to him, uh, the Lord, you know, what's your opinion of the Stoics? Would he have an opinion or is it too peripheral that he would have not even known about it? He probably would have known about it. I, I don't know how much in his interactions with the, the different groups in first century Judaism, Stoicism wouldn't have been that big of a deal, mainly because Jews... They already had, you know, they already had a system of virtues. Uh, Were the Pharisees Stoics? I uh, mean, maybe not technically of the school of Stoicism, but they were trying really hard to be good. Yeah, no, I mean, everybody's trying really hard to be good. The Pharisees would have would have rejected any sort of notion of a of a completely eminent God, a God who's just one with nature. The Pharisees would have also rejected the notion that whatever is is supposed to be. The Pharisees, as Jews, would have believed in evil, and they would have believed in alien righteousness. They would have believed in that things are broken and need to be changed, which is not stoic in a big picture. They also would have believed that for things to get fixed, God will have to act in human history to fix these things, as the Pharisees were waiting for this. So they wouldn't have been stoics in that sense, although they would have shared with them the you know, wisdom, of course. Stoics believed in wisdom, the notion of logos, and rationality was important, uh, but the Pharisees had the Book of Proverbs for this. They had uh, the Psalms of uh, Solomon, which is, is a, a piece of fantastic wisdom literature that would have been around in the first century. Uh, so they would have gone other places to get the same things that Stoicism offered. Um, Jesus d- doesn't seem to be that interested in addressing Stoicism. Paul, on the other hand, is very interested in Stoicism, very influenced by it. Really? 
Very, very much so. And um, uh, his Areopagus speech in the book of Acts, uh, he actually quotes Stoic poets. In him we live and move and have our being, he says, which is a very pantheistic, very Stoic thing to say. Well, then he goes on to critique it and say, though, that like God agrees, God is here, God is imminent, he is present in his creation, but he also stands over and against it because he's aligned himself by this one that he's appointed to judge the entire world at the end of time. The end of time, also not a Stoic idea. And he's validated this guy by raising him from the dead. So Paul agrees with Stoicism that God is present over against, uh, by the way, bonus information, Epicureanism, which was the alternate to Stoicism in the ancient world, which believed that God is exist, but he's completely absent. He's way out there in the universe somewhere. In many ways, the founding fathers are more Epicurean than they're Stoic, which interestingly enough, although Epicureanism um, doesn't get a lot of play these days. So I'm not sure what Barton Swaim's trying to do in, in that review that you and I, that, that came out last week in the Wall Street Journal, except to say that Stoicism is more popular now because it gives more power to us. Paul sees this, St. Paul sees this, he agrees with this. He agrees with Stoic virtues. He agrees that, that, that God is present in the universe and active. But he ultimately uh, 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 jumps ship, especially at the notion of humiliation and this idea that God has acted in creation with this slave, this one who was executed by the Romans on a cross. Are you kidding me? The Stoics would have scoffed at that the notion that God himself would have tied himself to a dead slave. And Paul's like, nope, actually that's the pathway to ultimate virtue is to be united with this dead and now resurrected and exalted slave, Jesus. So here's my last question. You're a pastor. You're the pastor here at St. James Lutheran Church. You're the shepherd of the flock here. Um, many people who worship here and are members here. If you find out that somebody has become kind of infatuated with stoicism. They've, for whatever reason, they play second base for the Arizona Diamondbacks, whatever it is, and very interested in it. Would you counsel that person to be very careful about that pursuit because it threatens their Christianity, or would you encourage them, go ahead and take a look at that and let me know what you think? If they say, I'm a stoic now and I don't need Christianity because there are virtues within me that I can find. I would say you're barking up the wrong tree. You're right about the virtues, but you're wrong about where you can get those virtues from. I would say that. I would also be concerned, and thinking about this topic concerns me in this way, that the church is somehow letting down young men, especially. I, I think that we have... Um, We've talked about Jesus in ways that leave men with no purpose. We've valorized emotions, emotional responses to Jesus in ways that say basically the way that you can connect with Jesus is through this emotional experience. And I think that the church by doing this has turned off young men. The church could have been a place where purpose and meaning that, that Stoicism offers could have been had in relating to the man, Jesus Christ. And instead we offered them, I, I don't want this to be offensive, but we offered them sort of a feminized interaction with 
Jesus, which works for some people. It works for women, for instance. It can work for women, not all women, but but men want purpose. They want to know that sacrifice is important, that hard work is important. And Paul especially says, yes, jump on board. These virtues can be had in spades in Christianity as long as you know that ultimately they're not going to fulfill you if they're coming from yourself. They have to come from some sort of, they have to come from God, not the God that Stoicism says lives in you, but the God who lives outside of you and offers this righteousness to you through his son, Jesus Christ. If the church can combine these things, if the church can say, yes, only Jesus is righteous, but he offers you a path forward with purpose and meaning and courage and wisdom and moderation and justice, then I think the church can say, yes, Stoicism has a lot to offer if it's seen, if it can be seen in light of the gift of Jesus Christ. You've been listening to Craving Answers, Craving God. Our episodes can be found on a number of different platforms, including Spotify, Pandora, Apple, and our own St. James Lutheran Church website. Please tell your friends about us, and feel free to suggest topics for future programs, as this one was today. For Pastor Aaron Miller and Production Manager Larry O'Leary, I'm Chuck Rather.